Uh, one was we got a praise for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, met our goal, and we're at $6,259. So. And it's not too late to give more. So uh, and, uh, we also uh, had a donation this last week. Uh, I don't know if anybody's been in the back, but we got a load of mulch delivered, and that was donated to us by Texas Sand and Gravel over in Lillian. So we thank them for that. And we're actually going to be talking about a little youth project to go back there and spread that. So anybody that's interested in doing that, uh, get up with me or Jeff, and we're going to set up a time maybe this next week or maybe maybe Saturday, something to just go out and spread that thing. I don't think we quite have enough, but we'll figure out what we what we need. Uh, do we have any other announcements anybody can think of that I'll, I'll bring up? Yes, Andy. Oh, yeah, in the morning, 6.30 at the Elks Diner, we have the men's breakfast. Wednesday's luncheon, and that starts at 12, excuse me, at 11 o'clock. All right. Okay, well, that's, uh, that is all good. And uh, so uh, before we get started this morning, uh, why don't we just go ahead and, and go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, uh, we'll get things going. All right. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to uh, thank you for being our God today. Lord, we just thank you for bringing us here to this place, and we thank you for the... Uh, the message that you're going to bring us and the way you're going to speak to our hearts. We just pray for Rusty and Deborah this morning, uh, uh, just for their healing. And Lord, we just, uh, there are many of, of those in our church body that are sick today. And Lord, we just pray for healing for them. And there are other struggles. Lord, we just pray for your guidance uh, in, in, our, in our daily struggles. Lord, we just pray that um, in this new year, Lord, that, uh, that you'll just be there for us, be our hope. And, Lord, we know that you are our hope. You are where we find our hope. And, Lord, we just pray that um, that we would see that and we would see you every day. And we just want you, we want to remember you each day and come to you for our petitions and our requests. And, Lord, we thank you for being our God. Uh, Lord, we just want to pray for this offering. Lord, we just pray that you would use it to to further your kingdom. And, Lord, we just uh, pray that for each donation, Lord, that it, it, would be, um, it would be a gift that you would multiply many, many times. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning and happy new year. Now, I must say so far, I'm not too impressed with 2022. It's kind of cold. And I'm really glad you have a good heater on in this church. Amen? But that's just my personal opinion. I know a lot of people have been going around saying, well, it doesn't feel like Christmas. It doesn't feel like winter. Well, it felt good to me when it was like that, so I'm not a big, not a big fan of the cold weather, but... I'll try to warm up and preach. So my name is Ken. 
Thornhicker, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, uh, for those of you who are visitors, I got good news for you. I'm not the pastor here. Pastor Rusty is a wonderful, wonderful brother, and they're not feeling very well, him and Deborah, and we're praying for their complete, speedy recovery. Amen. All right. Well, I'm just going to plunge in here this morning and uh, start with a story. It's a true story about a Texan named Carl McCunn. And this really happened just like this. Carl McCunn moved to Alaska, and he made a lot of money working on the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline. And he, he worked on that pipeline for three or four years and got a lot of money in his bank account. And after three or four years, he decided, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to do something I've always wanted to do. And he loved to take pictures, and he loved to take pictures of wildlife. So he said, well, I'm in Alaska, so I'm going to take uh, some time off this summer, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to camp, and I'm going to take pictures of beautiful wildlife and, and everything there is beautiful here in Alaska. And so he hired a, a bush pilot to fly him into one of the backcountry lakes, miles from anywhere, and he went to that beautiful camp. He made a camp, and for, for the whole summer, he took pictures. And uh, he, he, he had a pile of equipment. He had 500 pounds of camping equipment and food. He was well-stocked. And uh, now, for those of you who are young, you don't know what a roll of film is, but he had 500 rolls of film. And, they, and his film was full of beautiful, beautiful pictures of elk and all the beautiful animals there in Alaska and bear and everything. And then all of a sudden, come late, come kind of mid, late August, it started getting a little crisp. The air started getting a little crisp. Now, here in Texas, it doesn't get cool by August, but in Alaska, it starts getting kind of cool by late August. And then the air started getting more than crisp. It started getting downright cold. And then Carl McCunn, for the first time in it, for the first time, after all that summer, he realized, I never arranged for a bush pilot to come back and pick me up. I forgot that small detail. And so Carl McCunn was taking pictures and writing in a journal. And he wrote that in his journal. I forgot to hire a bush pilot to come and pick me up. And then sadly, little by little, he ran out of food. Temperature, of course, plunged to way below zero. And Carl McCunn was literally starving to death, fingers and toes frostbitten. And he wrote in his journal, this is sure a slow agonizing way to die and unfortunately that's what happened and uh, the next spring some Alaskan state troopers spotted his camp after the snow melted and they went in there and they found Carl McCann's frozen emaciated body along with his journal up to the last days and uh, all his rolls of film with his beautiful uh, his beautiful pictures. But you know what? I think Carl McCann makes a good picture of what a lot of people 
living around us all the time. They live their life, and they make some money, and they stack up a bunch of stuff, and they enjoy their hobbies and enjoy what they're doing. But like Carl McCann, they forgot the departure at the end. You know what I'm talking about. Now you have to understand, I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. And I've been doing tent crusades across America this last year because I'm convinced that the United States of America needs a revival. We need an awakening. And like never before in my life, I look around me and I see all the people who are not ready for their departure. They don't, they don't, they've got money, they've got hobbies, they've got stuff, but they have made no provision for their departure. And as I think here we are today, second day, 2022, and we mark years. And there's nothing wrong with coming into a new year and kind of taking inventory of your life and maybe saying, you know, in 2022, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do that better. Wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. 2022, I'm going to pray more. 2022, this we passed out of one year, we're going into another. I'm going to make some changes. Wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But you know what? For me, marking the years by, um, by earthly calendars is not really what's important. What's important is eternity. Amen? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Eternity. Eternity is real. Eternity is 100% biblical, and yet most people now are not prepared for their eternity. The book of Ecclesiastes says, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't make a, a big a PowerPoint presentation. I'm going to read a, a longer passage toward the end, and I've got that for you. But I'm not going to have every scripture I preach on up there, but because uh, they're very short, most of them, until the end. But Ecclesiastes 3 is... 3.11 says that God has made everything beautiful in its time, but he has also set eternity in the human heart. God has put eternity in our heart. Deep down, we know we're going to live forever. We are created in the image of God. So we will live forever. Eternity is in there. Deep down, we know there's something more than just getting up, going to work, going to sleep, watching some TV, and getting up the next day. We know there's more to life than that. It's instinctive. God put it in us. Eternity in our heart. And you know, I'm starting to get a little older now, having a birthday next week, and uh, I'm aware of how old I am. But you know what? I'm thankful that even as a teenager, uh, going to church at Christmont Baptist Church where I got saved in uh, 1979, uh, I'm so glad that eternity was on my scope, even when I was a teenager. Eternity's always been on my scope. And I also, I don't preach in, uh, I love your church, lovely church, lovely people, but I don't just preach in churches. I preach on college campuses in the free speech zones across America, and I talk to young people every day, and I, I talk to young people, and I realize so many of them, they believe spirituality is something you pick and choose for yourself. You make up your own spirituality. You make up your own morality. Each and every person makes up their own version of right and wrong. And for so many, I hear them, uh, you know, it'd be like if I said to someone, what's your, Ken, what's your favorite kind of ice cream, brother? You know? 
What's your favorite? Okay, lots of favorites for Kim. But for most people, if I ask my wife, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? She'd say strawberry. Well, personally, I much prefer chocolate. I like chocolate. So, you know what? But I have to tell you something. What kind of ice cream you may like has no consequences. It doesn't matter. But sadly, right now in the United States of America, most people think it's the same with their belief system. They think it's the same with right or wrong. They think it's the same with truth. They think it's the same with religion. Oh, everyone just picks whatever they like. But that's not true. What kind of ice cream you like makes no difference. But what, kind, what you believe spiritually is real. And it has consequences. And that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in Mark 8, he said, he said, What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Jesus said, You can gain the whole world. And lose your soul. You can have all the money in the world, all the stuff in the world, the best job, fame, whatever. You can have it all. But if you lose your soul, you made a bad choice, Jesus said. So Jesus said it matters what you believe. George Whitfield was a great open-air preacher, preached uh, in England, set England ablaze, then crossed the ocean, set America ablaze in what we call the the great awakening, the greatest revival this nation's ever seen. But he realized even in his generation that people didn't take it seriously what was going on with their soul. And he said, you blame me for weeping? Because George Whitfield was famous for weeping while he preached. He said, you blame me for weeping? But how can I help it when you will not weep for yourselves, though your immortal souls are on the verge of destruction? And so right now what I'm challenging you, you matter. You're as a church, you matter. As a Christian, you matter. Your prayers, your witness can make all the difference in someone's eternity. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. You make a difference in uh, helping people, uh, as the book of Daniel says, influencing them towards righteousness. So now I'm going to do something a little unusual, probably, for modern day. But I'm going to talk about eternity, both sides of it, this morning. So I'm going to take what I'm going to call this morning an elevator trip into eternity. Is that all right? With some of you. An elevator trip into eternity this morning, just to remind us of what really matters, and that's people's eternal souls. Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, what really matters in your Christian witness is their eternity. So we're going to start the elevator. We're going to start the elevator trip down. What happens? Jesus said people lose their souls. What happens when they lose their soul? Peter said this. Peter said, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? You know, the truth is, we all know what will become of them. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to say those words. We don't want to think about it. But the truth is, the Bible is perfectly clear. When someone loses their soul, what happens to them? They go to a place that we call hell. Now, I want you to think about it. I want to just stay down here. We take the elevator ride down to the the wrong side of eternity in hell this morning. And just talk for a minute about what will hell really be like? What is it for? What happened? Why did God let this happen? Why is it there? And the Bible tells us a lot more than we realize. Jesus talked about hell uh, more than anybody else in the Bible. Not just that. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. 
Why? Because he's mean? No. The opposite. He wants to warn people, don't go to this place. Can you imagine if I went to one of the richest men in America, and I walked up to his house. Now, he's a rich guy, so I don't just go to the front door. He's got a, he's got a wall around the whole estate. He's got a gate out there. And, uh, you know, what if I walk up out there and I push the button and, you know, he's got a, a closed-circuit TV with a, you know, a security apparatus and an intercom, and uh, I push that bell. And let's just say for sake of argument this morning that uh, his security guard's on lunch hour. So we'll call this guy Bill, and Bill comes to the door. I mean, comes when he gets on there, he looks through the camera. He sees me out there with my suitcase. And he says, hello, may I help you? And I say, Bill, I'm coming to live with you. I'm coming to live at your house, Bill. Is that okay? I, I want to live with you. And Bill is looking through the camera, and he, re- he, he knows. I don't know this guy. I never met this guy. I've never seen this guy once in my whole life. Never. And Bill says, uh, I'm sorry, that's not going to be possible. And I say, oh, yeah, Bill, don't be unreasonable. Don't be mean. And I take my suitcase and I throw it over the fence. And I somehow manage to climb over the gate and start walking up towards Bill's house. Bill, I'm coming to live with you. Do you think I'm going to live with Bill? Do you think it's going to be happily ever after with me and Bill and his family and children? No, because Bill is going to go get the security guard off his lunch hour and say, get rid of this crazy man. He's not going to live with me and my wife and my children. He's not going to live here. End of story. Probably not actually the end of the story in real life. He'd probably call the police and charge me with trespassing. But you know what, folks? I meet people every day. Now, if you walk, if you talk to lost people, and I've spent uh, 40 years now almost talking to lost people about Jesus outside the walls of the church, they all think they're going to heaven. Period of indescendence. Are you a good, are you going to heaven? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm a good person. And yet, how many of those people they don't know God? They spent their whole life neglecting God. They're strangers to God, but they still think I'm a good person and I'm going to live with God forever when I die. No, folks, that's not reasonable. You don't let strangers live at your house, and God will not let strangers live in heaven with Him forever. And He's not mean. He's not unreasonable. It's just a fact. So, what will it be like? So, to understand the essence of hell, what is hell? Hell is complete separation from God. That's the essence of what hell is. And most people haven't really thought that through. They don't know what that's like. You know, the Bible says God is love. And the Bible says over and over that God is light. Now think about what it will be like to be separated from all love. Separated from all light. For eternity, but that's what happens when you're separated from love from from God because He is all love. Hell, in its essence, is separation from God. I mean, I know that. Uh, in other words, that is the most bleak, horrible, awful thing you could imagine is to be separated from God. You're created in His image. You're meant to be close to God. You were created to be close to God. But if you don't want to be, and you're a stranger to God, then you will be separated from Him. Now, you know, I know it's uh, a little more than just being separated from God. 
it's uh, very clear, you know, and people would say to me, I, I speak on college campuses, and mostly I do Q&As, so they ask questions, and I've had so many people say, oh, yeah, but what about fire? Do you think it's really flames in hell? Do you think it's really fire in hell? Well, you know, personally, I think that's not the worst part of hell. The worst part of hell is being separated from God. However, where did that idea come from? Where did we get this idea of fire down there? Well, the truth is that when Jesus was walking around on the earth, preaching and teaching, people said to him, well, what happens to people who are not saved? Are all people going to be saved? How many people do you, th they said, how many people are going to be saved, Lord? Just a few? And what happened when Jesus was walking around, he was in Jerusalem. And just outside of Jerusalem, in a, there's a valley outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. And that was the city trash dump. And all the trash from the city was thrown into the valley of Gehenna just south of Jerusalem. Not just all the, 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 just all the trash, but uh, all the animal parts and leftover food and things they, didn't, they couldn't use anymore. It was all tossed into the valley of Gehenna. And the valley of Gehenna was there. They all knew it was there. But not just that in Jerusalem. If there were corpses, because the Romans were... Uh, the Romans were uh, in control of Jerusalem at that point, and they didn't let criminals get buried, most of them. Most of the criminals were just tossed into Gehenna, their corpses. And so because of this, there were always wild animals and worms and disgusting maggots and things in a garbage dump, just like there are today in garbage dumps. And so because of the, all the... the you know, the, all that stuff, they had to keep it burning all the time to get rid of the, the maggots and the disgusting wild animals preying on all the garbage. And 11 times when they said to Jesus, what will become of people who don't know God and who are lost, he pointed to Gehenna. So that's where we get our idea of where that's from. Jesus said that 11 times. Now, I know that sounds horrible. And you know what? It is. <laughs> it is horrible. And Jesus is warning people, don't go to this place. But I'm going to read a couple of verses from Job that I, I don't hear too many people speak about. But in Job 21, I preach on these on college campuses all the time. Job 21:14 says, Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. And in Job 22:17, a very similar verse. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? And so I think about these verses, and I want you to be sober for just the next moment. I'm fixing to hit the elevator up button. Is that all right? You ready for that? You ready for me to hit the elevator up button? But before I do, I want you to think about it. Now, I, there was a time in my life as a wild teenager, that was my attitude. I said to God, leave me alone. I didn't say it out loud. But in the way I lived, in the way I conducted myself, my attitude was basically, leave me alone, God. I don't want to go to church. I don't. How many kids still walk up to me all the time on a college campus? Happens virtually every time. I, I hated church growing up. My parents drugged me to church. I have a drug problem. They drugged me to church. I want you to know that if that's your attitude, what you're really saying is, leave me alone, God. How many people have you invited to church over the years? And they're, I don't want to go to church. Maybe they don't say it quite that. Now, some of them will get very hostile. But other people just, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not interested in all that. Their heart attitude is, leave me alone, God. 
And so that's why they will go to Gehenna. So he says, we have no desire to know your ways. I want you to think about it. Do you have friends? Do you have neighbors? Do you have uh, people you work with whose attitude is, God, leave me alone? I have no desire to know your ways. I like the last part, though. They say, what can the Almighty do to us? What can the Almighty do to us? He could leave us alone. He could leave us alone. And if he does, that's what hell is all about. And sadly, it's not on most of our scopes. A leading magazine right now in the United States of America said, Churchgoers, take comfort. Hell has all but disappeared from modern Christian theology. Folks, just because we don't think about it does not mean it went away. It's still there. Jesus said it was. But you know what? Our attitude should be that everything we do, everything we pray, is about helping people to get saved and not go to their, that eternity. Charles Spurgeon said this, called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. This was Charles Spurgeon's attitude. If sinners will be lost, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Amen. So, it's real, and we need to help people avoid it. Amen. Now, ready? Elevator up. How about that now? The other side of eternity. The good side of eternity. What does the Bible teach about heaven? What will heaven be like? I love talking about this. I'll try not to take too long this morning, but heaven... Uh, I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us much about heaven. Man, they need to read the Bible again. The Bible tells us a lot about heaven. It gives us vivid, dripping detail of what it will be like there. And I personally can't wait. Now, first of all, our society and our culture, mostly from TV shows and stuff like that, have got all these crazy ideas that heaven is going to be a place where people float around uh, disembodied spirits float around on clouds strumming harps. You ever seen that portrayed in a... That does not sound very exciting to me, much less if that's eternity. <clears throat> but folks, I'm glad to say that's not what the Bible teaches. We are not disembodied spirits when we get to heaven. Listen to this. How many of you know Jesus died on the cross? And then what did he do? He spent three days in the grave and then he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he was flesh and blood again. He had a body. He was real. He was not a ghost. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, the disciples were afraid because they'd seen him die. They'd seen him go into a grave, but now he's here. They thought he was a ghost. And Jesus said, look at my hands. And he let them see the nail scars. He said, look at my feet. He said, touch me. It is I myself. Not just look at it. Touch me. Touch my uh, the nail scars. And he said, it is I myself. And he said, I am not a ghost. For ghosts don't have flesh and bone as you see I do. Jesus was alive in a body. And the Bible says in Philippians 3 that he will transform our lowly bodies into a glorious body like his. <clears throat> so in heaven, you will be you. And you will be every bit as real and, and uh, eternal as you are now. But what will heaven be like? Three verses in the New Testament describe it this way. Are you ready? Paradise. Does that put a little picture in your mind? Man, I know what paradise is in my mind. 
And the Bible says heaven will be paradise. Heaven's real. Heaven is not a concept. It's not a metaphor. It's not a word picture. Anytime, you ask my wife, anytime I write the word heaven or I write the word hell, I spell them with a capital H. I'm from Burleson. When I write Burleson, I spell it with a capital B because it's a place. Heaven is a real place. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about what the Bible describes of heaven. <clears throat> In uh, Hebrews, it's really interesting. Hebrews 11 is kind of called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And Hebrews 11 talks about people who have lived for God and loved God all their lives and the reward they will receive for uh, living for God on this earth. And it says in Hebrews 11, I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. Verse 16 says, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Are you longing for a better heavenly country? I am. A heavenly country. Therefore, God is not, not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's real. It's a real place. It's a real country with a real city. A real place, in other words. And you will still be you walking around in a body. So heaven is the next place you will live if you're a Christian, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ. God has prepared a city for us. Actually, it says in Second uh, Peter 3 that, God, that we are looking forward to a whole new heavens and a whole new earth. So it's going to be vast. It's going to be this beautiful paradise. Also, Hebrews 11.10, speaking about Abraham who lived for God and actually lived, for, lived in tents instead of a nice house and moved all the time, was nomadic, following God. It says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God is building the most spectacular city that has ever existed. And not just that, he's going to build you a place to live there, the Bible says. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. When the King James Version says, Many mansions. I'm looking forward to the place that God is building uh, for me in heaven. Hebrews 12.22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So again we see <clears throat> that Mount Zion will be a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem. So when I think about it, in other words, what I'm trying to convey to you this morning is, when I imagine my eternity, it's not floating around on a cloud playing a harp. When I imagine my eternity, I, I've lived, I've been in 24 countries, and I've lived in some of them. I've been to some with Ken and Michelle over in Africa, and I've lived in other places in Europe and Germany and Central America. I've been in those places and seen the beautiful architecture and the beautiful people and, and the different uh, environments, the different landscapes and flowers and, and stuff. I'm looking forward to God's heaven. It'll be that real, and it's the next place I plan on living uh, by the blood of the Lord Jesus and his mercy. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I get so, I just get so worn out and so tired of life on earth. I get tired. Let me just give you one example. I get tired of the media constantly stirring up racial strife. I just get so worn out with the continual stirring up of racial strife and that hatred. 
I praise God that the Bible says in Revelation 5 that in the New Jerusalem there will be people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward because I've been all over the world and God has so many beautiful people all over the world. But the Bible describes God's throne throughout the book of Revelation. And it talks about a beautiful emerald rainbow and a beautiful crystal sea and a lake flowing from that crystal sea. And it's interesting. I'm going to read from Revelation uh, 21 and 22 where the Bible gets very descriptive. I'm just going to read uh, a few. I'm going to read the first. Now, normally I preach on heaven sometimes. I don't read verse 8. But since I've talked about both sides of eternity, I'm going to include verse 8. So Revelation 21, 1 through 8. So just let God put pictures in your mind of what heaven will really be like. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his bride, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Before I go on, I just want to call attention for how many times, because this is what makes heaven heaven. The Bible says the streets will be gold. The Bible says everything, the, the, the walls and all the city will be spectacular and decorated with, with precious stones. And it'll be glorious. It'll be beautiful beyond all description. But that's not what makes heaven heaven. And he described it here and he said over and over, God's dwelling will now be among his people and he will live with them. We will live with God again. That's what makes heaven heaven. But, uh, you know, the other parts aren't too bad either. Verse 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water from the spring of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And from this part on, he begins to describe heaven vividly. You know why I believe heaven is so real? He, he's got an angel taking him around, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and he said he measured it. He actually measured New Jerusalem, and he measured the walls, how high they were and how thick they were. And he said this, he measured them with human measurements, like a, a ruler, a tape measure of human uh, he said, man's measurement. That tells me how very tangible heaven is. And then he begins to describe the golden streets, transparent gold. He begins to describe it with all the vivid detail. I'm going to just read a couple more verses in 10 and 11. He says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious stone, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I'm not going to take time this morning to embarrass my wife, but I do like the wedding ring I bought her. It's the most extravagant thing I've ever bought. My wife's sparkly diamonds all in it. I wanted to put a ring on it. I wanted her to stick around. And here we 31 years together. Well, the Bible says even that the new Jerusalem will sparkle like a gemstone. Now, I'm just going to read a couple more verses out of Revelation 22. It just continues. And it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face. So when you read this passage, you get that in the middle, the very middle of New Jerusalem is a throne, and it's a park-like environment with a beautiful river and trees, and just, man, I just can't wait to live there. It's so beautiful and so real the way the Bible describes it. But again, the most beautiful thing about heaven is we will see his faith face. I've been walking with Jesus now 40 years. I've never seen him yet. I can't wait to see his face. I can't wait to see Jesus and be with him. I'm going to close with one last thing this morning, and that's this. I know I said the H word this morning at the beginning. I talked about hell. That's not that normal these days. Then I talked about heaven. But I want to close with this thought. I want to make sure you understand this. Now, I know it's easy to label people. And I could get labeled, oh, he's a hellfire preacher. Well, don't anybody leave here saying that this morning. Because I didn't. I preached about hell, but I preached about heaven too. And here's the best part. The Bible says, God is not neutral in how he feels about where people go. God is not neutral about people's eternity. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. He says, I've set before you life and death. Choose life so that you and your children may live. God wants you to go to heaven. God wants your children to go to heaven. God wants your neighbors to go to heaven. God says, choose life. He's not neutral. He cares. He cares so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. There's hell, there's heaven, and there's a cross in between where we can be forgiven of all of our sins. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God is not neutral in this thing of eternity. He has sent His Son so that we may have, by believing on Him, we may have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross. I know you've heard that before, but I want you just to think about how much God wants people to go to heaven. He sent His Son, Jesus. He, 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 he was on that cross for agonizing hour upon hour. I know you know the part that the Bible says, and I just want to remind us here at the beginning of the year, 
that they nailed Jesus to the cross. They nailed his hands. They nailed his feet. And they nailed him there for one reason and one reason only. So we could be forgiven and spend eternity with God, not eternity without God. And they nailed his feet and his hands to the wood. I was preaching and I do tent crusades. And I was preaching in a tent crusade last a few months ago in Burleson. I preached about the cross. I made that striking those iron nails together. And this man came up to me after. He said, man, I will never forget the cross again in my life. When you hit those nails together, it went to the very in middle, middle of my soul. Folks, God wants everybody to go to heaven. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. I just want this morning, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to come to a time of response. As the music team's coming, I just hope this morning that the things that are important are fresh in your heart this morning, that God wants to use his people to tell others about Jesus and to invite them to church. I was a mixed up, horrible, ungodly teenager I am so thankful for a girl named Karen in high school who invited me to church. And I am so thankful to this day that I went and I heard the message of Jesus and that that night I got on my knees and called out to Jesus and asked him to save me. I am so thankful that I heard the gospel that a sweet church member used her influence and told me how to be saved. And I went to hear an evangelist that night, Crestmont Baptist Church, and fell on my knees and became a follower of Jesus. So I pray today you've been stirred up. And uh, I said this all today for one reason. I believe in America. America needs to hear this message fresh and new. America needs to be revived. America needs to realize people are losing their souls. And, the, and our prayers and our witness make that much difference. So thank you so much for having me today. I just want to say uh, one last thing. I've been doing tent crusades in America this last year, and uh, by the grace of God, we plan on doing some more tent crusades this coming year, and uh, we really need people who will pray for us. I have to say this. This has been one of the best years of my life, seeing people get saved and baptized and come to Jesus in that tent, seeing Christians get stirred up again. But I have to say, uh, and yeah, there's some of them there. The one on the bottom left, that was Burleson just a few months ago. And uh, people get baptized in a trough and come and hear the words of eternal life. And I mean, we've been blessed at every crusade to have truly unchurched lost people come. I mean, unchurched people. In Burleson, we had an atheist who came. We had a Muslim couple who came uh, from Egypt. We had people who came. And one man came and he just sat there, and I mean, I know this is a, a beautiful, sweet church, but I'm telling you, at a tent crusade, this man came, and he sat on the back out there drinking a beer. And then he began to tell his story. He had lost every member of his immediate family in three years. His wife had died. His daughter actually committed suicide after that, and his other son died. And he sat out there drinking a beer, listening to the words of eternal life. And we had lost people come to every crusade and get saved. And how wonderful that is. And so if you'd like to keep up with us, we have a monthly magazine you can get. We'll send that to you. And uh, maybe we'll do one around here sometime and you'll see it and you can come. But we desperately need people praying for us and standing with us. Because even though it's been a great year, it's also been a hard year. 
the spiritual warfare I've experienced this year? Unbelievable how hard it's been uh, to, to, to try to revive America. So we really need God's people to pray with us and stand with us. So bless you guys. Thank you for coming. I'm going to sit down and turn it over to the worship team, but I'm going to close in prayer. Oh, Father, we cry aloud right now in the name of Jesus Christ for lost people, Lord, who are all around us, lost people who desperately need to hear the message of reconciliation. They need to hear John 3.16. Lord, we assume they all know it. But, Lord, I talk to people every single day who don't know it. They don't know that they are lost and and on their road to the wrong side of eternity, Lord. But I praise God for the privilege of being able to tell them about Jesus and the cross and that you love them. You want, to, you want them to spend eternity with you forever, oh God. You are inviting them to live with you. And Father, I pray you encourage this church, stir up this church, and stir up all of us, Lord, that fresh and new we would go out and uh, take seriously to tell others about Jesus. And I pray also, Lord, that we will pray every day, Lord Jesus, as you told us to pray. Lord, send workers into the harvest field that your house might be full, Lord. That your house might be full. I do pray again for Rusty and Deborah to get well very soon and recover very quickly. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Start a song, we'll be dismissed.